Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another Sunday edition of the Royal Ramble. I am your host, as always, Blaine the Brain, and it is Sunday Fun Day. I have two huge event reviews to get through, and can you believe that we're only about eight weeks away from Christmas? This year just flew by, didn't it? I will be opening the polls in about a month, so you can all vote on some of the best and worst of categories of the year. And I also have my New Year's episode featuring the crystal ball drop, where I will predict what I see happening in 2023. But that's then, and this is now. I know it may be about a week premature to say this, but I wish all of you a very happy Halloween. Stay safe out there and don't fill up on too much candy. It might not be Halloween just yet, but that doesn't mean we can't set the mood. The WWE certainly did with their latest premium live event. It was Halloween Havoc, which took place on the WWE Network and Peacock just last night. Did it deliver? Well, that's why I'm here. I'm going to run through my thoughts on the event, and because I did not do any fantasy forecasts last week, you will be getting that at the end of the show as I will predict the card for the next big WWE NXT event in December called Deadline, which will actually be the same day as ROH Final Battle. That could be interesting. But right now, I wanted to talk a little bit about the UFC, because it's been a while. They had their 280th big event just last night. That has to be some kind of milestone. Let's take a look at that killer lineup. The women kicked things off almost literally with some flyweight action as Caitlin Chukagian took on Manon Fior. It was a pretty evenly matched contest, but I think Chukagian has had more octagon experience, so it was kind of leading toward her in the fight. But to my surprise, Fior seemed to be the aggressor in this one and kept pushing forward. I think that ultimately, no pun intended, might have secured her the victory. She did land a huge front kick to Chukagian's chin and then followed up with some one-two combos earning herself the unanimous decision. Another fight that went the distance, which again I was not expecting, was the next one between Benil Dariush and Matush Gamrot. For a lesser-known fighter, I thought Gamrot put up much better fight than I expected him to, especially in the earlier rounds. Dariush even commented in the post-fight interview with DC that he was not expecting Gamrot to be able to take him down, which Gamrot not only did, but he also put Dariush in the danger zone a couple of times and they had a pretty decent scramble in round one. Gamrot may have had a cauliflower ear opened up in the early stages of the fight, which caused some blood to leak out, and then Dariush connected with a stiff left hand in round three, but was still unable to finish him. Nevertheless, it was enough to get Dariush the unanimous decision. Bantamweight contenders Sean O'Malley and Piotr Jan took center stage up next. In fact, Jan is the former champion at 135, and I thought this was his fight to lose, but O'Malley put up a hell of a fight. They exchanged rapid fists of fire in the second round, and then Jan caught a knee from O'Malley, which busted him open a bit. O'Malley later scored with a vicious head kick and ended up getting the split decision, but I think it could have been unanimous. It was a close call. The bantamweight title was up for grabs next as Aljamain Sterling turned back the challenge of another former champion in TJ Dillashaw. The outcome of this one was really unfortunate for both champion and challenger. Sterling got a takedown in round one, which seemed to separate or dislocate Dillashaw's shoulder, and Sterling's corner was screaming at him to target that shoulder for the duration of the round, as Dillashaw was noticeably wincing. Sterling pretty well dominated the opening round because of the shoulder injury, but to Dillashaw's credit, he was still unable to put the challenger away. 
Dillashaw made it out of round one, but wasn't so lucky in round two as Sterling went right back to the ground and pound and finally got the TKO victory to retain his title. It's a shame what happened to Dillashaw, but doesn't do much for Sterling, who wins yet another fight in controversy, as he ended up winning the title on a DQ because of an illegal knee. But then again, a win's a win, and I'm sure he'll get some big ones in the near future. The main event was for the lightweight title. It featured Islam Makashev challenging Charles Oliveira. Makashev seemed very determined to finish, and he did exactly that. He was able to block a pump knee from Oliveira in round two and then countered with a right-hand knockdown and then immediately swarmed on him to get the arm triangle submission to win the title. I don't think it could have gone any better for Makashev in this fight. Former champion Habib Nurmagomedov was in Makashev's corner, and during the post-fight interview, the two of them set their sights on featherweight champ Alexander Volkanovsky for a super fight on Volkanovsky's home turf of Australia. That should be a great fight as well down the line. But then there was another big event last night. It was the WWE's latest premium live event to be presented by the NXT brand. It was Halloween Havoc. I thought the build for this show was okay, but a couple of the matches didn't sit too well with me. Let's review, shall we? There was a very Halloween-themed intro narrated by Chucky, which was kind of cool, and then it just kind of led right into the first match for the North American title, which was vacant, so no matter what, we were guaranteed a new champion. Actually, before that, I should mention that the host of the show came out at the beginning, Shotzi, who was dressed as the Joker, while Quincy Elliott, who felt extremely out of place at this event, was I think supposed to be Don King, but this guy had some terrible looking outfits last night, and this wasn't even the worst one, I'll get into that in a bit. But first, it was the ladder match for the North American title featuring former champion Carmelo Hayes, Nathan Frazier, Oro Mensa, Wes Lee, and the big man Von Wagner. I said last week, and as they used to say on Sesame Street, one of these things is not like the others. But despite my harsh words and sarcasm, I have to say that I think Wagner held his own in this match. He was there for the power spots, and I thought he was used very effectively. Although the standout, in my opinion, was most definitely Frazier. There was a horrifying spot where Mello was back body dropped off the vertical ladder, and I think he was supposed to land with his back on a ladder that was positioned against the ropes, but he missed by a bit and almost got his leg caught between rungs, but he appeared to be okay afterwards. One of the many crazy spots performed by Frazier in this match is when he followed Mello up to the middle rope and hit a reverse Spanish fly onto another ladder on the canvas. I usually hate that move because it doesn't make a whole lot of sense psychologically, but I let it slide this time because Frazier hit it perfectly. There was another scary spot where Mensa was going for the belt, but Trick Williams tipped the ladder over, and Mensa just kind of landed on all the guys at ringside, but seemed to have shorted it and almost got tripped up on the top rope, but fortunately landed safely. With all the actual match participants down, the two cornermen, Robert Stone and Trick Williams, then, cl then tried climbing the ladder on behalf of the guys they represented. Williams was knocked off the ladder when Stone removed his shoe and just kind of threw it at him, and then Williams rebounded and tipped the ladder over, causing Stone to take a huge bump on the floor. There was another crazy Frazier spot later on, as I believe Mello was set up on a ladder bridge from the apron to the barricade, and Frazier leapt off the top rope to deliver a frog splash, which looked insane. Wagner then caught Lee and just tossed him over the top rope, launching him right onto the top of the announce table. In the end, it was Lee and Mello battling for the title. 
There was a ladder bridge between the standing ladder and the middle rope, and Lee ended up hitting a Meteoro on the bridge to take Mello out, which again could have been dangerous because it didn't look like anyone was holding it in place. But the move was delivered well, and Lee ended up grabbing the belt to become the new champion. A bit of a surprise here, but we'll see what they do with it moving forward. J.D. McDonough is shown backstage basically mentally preparing for his match later on. He seemed to be almost meditating. All of a sudden, the lights go out in the arena, and these druids start bringing a casket to ringside. In case you missed the kickoff, it was announced that the the spin-the-wheel-make-the-deal match between Grayson Waller and Apollo Crews would be a casket match. Kind of a weird stip for these two, but it ended up not being too bad of a match. That wasn't the case, however, for the next one, which wasn't really even a match. Apparently, Alba Fire had issued a challenge to Mandy Rose via YouTube to come meet her in some kind of haunted house, which looked kind of like an abandoned barnyard. So Mandy shows up with toxic attraction in a white car, and I'm already regretting watching at this point. They get out, though Jane is kind of reluctant, and as they walk through the woods to get to the place, there are all these zombie-looking characters that come out of nowhere to try and scare them. This was incredibly lame. They finally get to the place and decide to split up looking for Alba, which even Jane suggested was a stupid idea, and I have to agree. As Jane is walking, some woman in a witch costume grabs her. It might have been Alba, but I couldn't tell from that angle. She basically pulls Jane into another room off-screen. The camera then goes to Gigi, who finds Chucky and a bunch of other freaky characters sitting at a table, so she joins them and makes fun of the whole Halloween concept, only for Alba to attack her from behind and lock her in some kind of freezer room or meat locker or something. Alba finally catches up to Mandy and attacks her with the bat. She loads Mandy into her own car and drives off. This was so dumb, and I thought we were past this cinematic garbage. Grayson Waller versus Apollo Crews in a casket match was up next, and like I said, I was expecting the worst here, but it was actually not bad. Waller kept mocking The Undertaker during parts of this match with his eye-rolling taunts and sit-ups. As Apollo had the advantage, they fought to the announce desk where Waller grabbed Vic's pen and jammed it into Apollo's eye, which seemed to be the story of the match, with Grayson constantly targeting the eye injury. They were fighting on the middle rope, and Grayson again jammed a thumb into the eye of Apollo, and then shoved him off the ropes, and Apollo ended up crashing through the top of the casket, and Booker suggested that the match should be over, which I thought as well, but apparently you're supposed to be able to close the lid once the person is in the casket. Since the lid was broken and that couldn't happen, the lights went out. Once they came back on, Apollo was shown at ringside surrounded by druids, who brought another, much larger casket to the ring. At this point, they finally started using the casket as more of a weapon. Apollo hip-tossed Waller off the casket onto the floor, and then hit a frog splash off the top of the casket. Back in the ring, Waller again tried to mock Taker and went for a tombstone, but Apollo reversed it, and instead of delivering the tombstone, turned the move into kind of a lung blower, which actually looked even better. He then delivered a one-armed spinebuster to Waller inside the casket and closed the lid to claim his victory. Another very surprising outcome here, as Apollo has a long history of winning these big matches, yet still remaining in the same spot on the card, while Waller could potentially be this company's MJF with a proper push. I thought there was definitely more upside in Waller going over here. The night was so-so for me at this point, but this next segment just brought it down. It was a Chase U vignette, as Andre Chase introduced his newest student, Duke Hudson. One of the pledges took exception to this. I can't remember his name, but it was the guy with the long blonde hair. 
Chase then decided it would be trivia night and asked what team the Outsiders defeated at Halloween Havoc 96 to win their first tag team titles. The blonde-haired guy made two guesses of the Nasty Boys and the Steiner Brothers, but both were wrong, and then Hudson had the right answer of Harlem Heat and was met with applause by everyone except Blondie. This was such a waste of time, and I'm already not into this feud. Pretty Deadly is interviewed backstage about their upcoming title defense on Tuesday against Idris Anofe and Malik Blade. They're quickly interrupted by Katana Chance and Caden Carter, who also have a title defense this coming Tuesday. Pretty Deadly says they are more concerned about what they will wear rather than keeping the titles, basically insinuating that it'll be a cakewalk for them. Chance and Carter say we'll see who walks out of NXT on Tuesday with their titles. Core Jade versus Roxanne Perez is up next in a weapons wild match. This feud has been up and down for me. I like both of these girls and want to see them do well, but I don't think the booking has done much for either lately, especially with the pick your poison stuff. The match was okay, but nothing spectacular. Roxanne started using Cora's own skateboard in the early going. She places Cora onto the board chest first and just rolls it under the bottom rope to the floor with Cora still on it. It was a cool spot, but I don't think that would actually work in real life. It seemed like something out of Home Alone. Cora fights back, temporarily blinding Roxanne with some kind of spray. They fight all the way to the balcony, and Cora removes one of the railings. Pretty poor construction there. Roxanne regains the advantage, but hesitates to knock Cora off, so Cora pulls Roxanne in and delivers a side Russian leg sweep off the balcony, crashing through a couple of tables below. Back in the ring, Cora sets up a stack of chairs and looks like she was going for a powerbomb, but Roxanne counters and back body drops Cora into the chairs. She then follows that up with pop rocks onto the stack of chairs to finally win the match. Ilya Dragunov is shown backstage warming up for his title match with some jump rope exercises. In another gigantic waste of time, Shotzi comes back out, this time dressed as Beetlejuice, and she looked awesome. And then the not-so-awesome Quincy Elliott comes out in a banana outfit. This looks stupid, and it didn't even fit him. It seemed like they were actually trying to embarrass this guy last night. He was completely unnecessary as a host of this show, and I think Shotzi could have done just as well or better without him. As they start talking, Lash Legend interrupts and says she should have been the host of Halloween Havoc instead of some SmackDown reject. Shotzi takes exception to that and drops Lash with a huge DDT. All of this was painful to watch, especially Quincy. Shotzi's outfit was the one bright spot, but apparently her and Lash are scheduled to do battle on NXT this week. Damon Kemp versus Julius Creed in an ambulance match. This wasn't one of the matches I was looking forward to, but ended up being one of the pleasant surprises of the night. I thought this was a really fun match, and they used the ambulance stiff very effectively. The basic story here is that if Julius lost, his brother Brutus would have had to leave NXT. Only problem I have with that is that I don't think anybody buys the Creed brothers splitting up. It may have been more believable under Vince McMahon's watch, but I can't see that happening anytime soon. Kemp actually came to the ring with a steel chair which had Julius's name written on it. They started throwing around these pumpkins at ringside, which was kind of silly. Kemp was eventually loaded into the ambulance, but used a crutch which was also used as a weapon in the match to help prop the door open so Julius couldn't win. When they got back to the ring, Kemp delivered a vicious uranaki to Julius on top of the steel steps, and then the two of them just started throwing weapons at each other. Julius threw a wheelchair, which for some reason was at ringside, and Kemp started throwing chairs. 
Kemp eventually got Julius into the ambulance, but Julius ended up sacrificing his own fingers to help keep the door open as Kemp slammed the doors into Julius's hand. Julius comes back and starts beating Kemp with chair shots to the back. He then had a hard time getting him up for the power bomb, but eventually delivered the move onto a stretcher, and firemen carried Kemp back to the ambulance, loaded him in, and closed the door to win the match. Brutus and Ivy Nile also came out to celebrate with Julius afterwards. As the ambulance was shown leaving the arena, the white car just arrived with Alba Fire dragging Mandy Rose back into the building. It sure took them a long time to get there, but how convenient that they just showed up at the conclusion of the last match. They fought all the way back to the ring, and the bell was finally rung, so the match was underway for the NXT women's title. Fire had the advantage, but Mandy reversed things with a drop to hold into the buckle. Fire came back, and just when it looked like she had victory well in hand off a swanton, Gigi and JC returned and pulled the referee out, which technically should have been a DQ. Fire hit the gory bomb on Mandy, but there was no rep to count, so she went and attacked Toxic Attraction on the outside, but the numbers were too much as they took her down with a high-low on the floor. Once Fire got back into the ring, she was immediately met with Kissed by a Rose from Mandy, who was able to retain her title. This whole thing was so ridiculous, including this match. Firstly, how did Gigi and JC even get back to the arena in time, considering that Alba had the car they came in? Also, if Mandy was going to retain and Toxic Attraction was going to interfere anyway, what was the point of all that cinematic nonsense? Anyway, there was an interview up next with Zoe Stark and Nikita Lyons, who were quickly joined by Inofe and Blade, each claiming that they will walk out of Tuesday's show carrying tag team gold. And that, of course, led into the main event for the NXT world title between defending champion Braun Breaker and his two challengers, J.D. McDonough and Ilya Dragunov. From start to finish, this was a fantastic match. During Breaker's entrance, they actually had two tombstones set up at ringside with each of his opponent's names on them, and Breaker basically just destroyed them with a shovel. In the early going, Breaker and Dragunov were kind of shoving each other out of the way in their attempt to get to McDonough. I'm sure there was some influence taken from the Michaels-Triple-H-Benoit match from WrestleMania 20, as I recall that's the exact way that match started as well, so I'm sure either Sean or Hunter must have spoken with these guys about the layout here. There was a cool spot where Dragunov set up both opponents in the corner and delivered a dual coast-to-coast dropkick. And this was great. Breaker basically delivered a Frankensteiner to McDonough off the top rope, and Dragunov caught him perfectly with a sit-out powerbomb. There was one spot where Breaker basically grabbed Dragunov, who had already grabbed McDonough, and basically took both of them over with a German suplex, and McDonough even did the full 360 flip, or maybe 270, or whatever it was to land on his chest. Breaker hit the military press into a power slam on Dragunov, and McDonough tossed him from the ring and tried to steal the pin, and I actually bought this as the finish, but Dragunov did end up kicking out. There was an even better sequence later where Dragunov countered Breaker's spear attempt with a flying knee and then followed up with a senton off the top rope and then the torpedo Moscow. It looked like he had it, but McDonough reached in and stopped the ref's hand from hitting the canvas for three, which was pretty clever. On the floor, McDonough hit a Spanish fly on Dragunov. Dragunov fired back with torpedo Moscow on the floor, but looked to have hurt his head on that one and did a fine job of selling. He tries the same move on Breaker in the ring, but Breaker catches him in midair with a spear for the win. It was kind of a weak finish, but the match was unbelievable. 
So with that, I'm going to attempt to predict the card for deadline on December 10th in this week's fantasy forecast. So here we go. Braun Breaker versus Carmelo Hayes for the NXT heavyweight title. Ilya Dragunov versus JD McDonough in a Heritage Cup rules match. Mandy Rose versus Alba Fire versus Roxanne Perez versus Cora Jade in a fatal four-way match for the NXT women's title. Wes Lee versus Tyler Bate for the NXT North American title. The Creed Brothers versus Roderick Strong and Damon Kemp, assuming that Roderick was the mastermind behind Kemp's turn and Roderick will be turning as well. So that'll be it for another week. Next week, I will run through my predictions for Crown Jewel on November 5th. Until then, I leave you with an A, B, C, ya. Yeah.